The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. Hey everybody, happy Wednesday. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Glad to have you with me today. A lot of stuff going on. We're going to be focused a lot on Washington today. First, we're going to start out by talking to Robin Bravender. You find her work in Michigan Advance and michiganadvance.com. She, of course, covers Washington for Michigan Advance. And she was at a couple of important things yesterday. One, Betsy DeVos was testifying. She's, of course, the Secretary of Education. She was testifying about the proposed Trump budget when it comes to education yesterday and getting grilled by the Democrats. We'll talk a bit about that, including including one of the budget proposals that would actually zero out funding for the Special Olympics. Why? We'll talk about that. Also, we'll talk about the anti-gerrymandering lawsuits that are out there that the Supreme Court heard arguments on yesterday. Where does it look like they might go? What sort of, uh, what leanings? did we get from the justices yesterday. So Robin Bravender is going to join us to talk a little bit about that. Then I've got some thoughts on the Justice Department and their call for basically the de- Declaration of Unconstitutionality for the Affordable Care Act, a.k.a. Obamacare. Their desire to have it thrown out. Well, we've been hearing about repeal and replace for many, many years. Lots of attempts at repeal, but no real plans for replace. It's time to put up or shut up. We'll talk about that on the program today as well. Stay with me for the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. I appreciate the fact that you are here with me today. And it was a busy day in Washington yesterday. I like to keep you up to date on things that are happening uh, that are going to impact us here in Michigan in some capacity. And there are a couple of different things that were going on there yesterday. One, uh, Betsy DeVos, who, of course, is from the west side of the state, has been a longtime proponent of charter schools and now serves as the secretary of education in the Trump administration, was on Capitol Hill yesterday getting grilled by Democrats over the proposed budget for the Department of Education, which she looks for across the board. Cuts and would cut a number of things like special education funding and funding for the Special Olympics. Okay, we'll talk a bit about that. And also, a very important hearing yesterday in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. Oral arguments were heard in two gerrymandering cases, one involving Maryland, the other involving North Carolina. Both states' cases could impact a lawsuit, a similar suit, here in the state of Michigan. So joining me right now to talk a little bit more about it is Robin Bravender. She, of course, is a native Grand Rapidian, but she covers Washington for Michigan Advance and some other publications. But her work appears in MichiganAdvance.com, who we talk to on this program on a regular basis. Robin, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you with me today. Thanks for having me. Well, you were busy yesterday. A couple of different things going on. One, a very important Supreme Court argument on the issue of gerrymandering. It's very uh, germane to those of us here in Michigan. Uh, And of course, also Betsy DeVos, a Michiganian who was uh, on the Capitol Hill yesterday trying to defend President Trump's budget when it comes to the Education Department. We're going to get into both of those things with Robin right now. Uh, Robin, uh, first of all, (laughs) this is a testament to how few people are actually covering the Capitol that you got to do both of these stories yesterday. Yeah, uh, it, it yeah. shows it shows how important it is to have this type of coverage through your organization. Well, thanks. Yeah, I was running around. 
Well, and and of course, this is uh, the silly season for those who like to watch the Supreme Court. A a case that those of us in Michigan have been watching very closely is, of course, this gerrymandering case that involves two other states, North Carolina and Maryland. One state, of course, Maryland, uh, the Democrats are being accused of gerrymandering that district to their advantage. They, of course, have a Republican governor. On the other side, North Carolina, which has uh, a, a Democratic governor, and the Republicans are being accused of gerrymandering that state. Michigan, of course, has its own gerrymandering suit that is out there, which could be rendered moot depending on what the Supreme Court decides to do. But based on the arguments that you saw yesterday, Robin, it certainly seems as if the Supreme Court is very, very, I guess, cautious about wading into this water. They are. Um, and like you said, it's these cases uh, focus on, on Maryland and North Carolina, but they're relevant to states across the country. Um yeah, it's hard to know what the justices are going to do, as always, based on their oral arguments. But um, one point that was very clear was if they wade into this very thorny issue of when is partisan gerrymandering too extreme, um, they're going to have a lot of cases like that in the future. So there's definitely a reluctance to to wade in on sort of when politics are too much. So they might they- out on those grounds. Did they have a legal rationale, though, for not wanting to deal with it? Because certainly it seems as if thorny issues like this, and especially when it comes to voting rights, are things that the Supreme Court should likely be tasked with handling. Yeah, one one key point was that gerrymandering, has, you know, drawing congressional districts has always been political. Um, and the point that, that attorneys made is it's not the role of the courts to decide when politics is too much. Um, one point that seemed to resonate with some of the conservative justices was that states um, can act to deal with these issues on their own. And, and they pointed to Michigan as as a state that's dealt with gerrymandering on the ballot. At the same time, Michigan's situation doesn't rectify the situation in the next election cycle, which is what I think uh, supporters of, of Michigan's lawsuit want. They would like to see some of these districts redrawn before the 2020 elections, not wait until 2022. Um, as far as offering a remedy, was that something that was brought up in the arguments at all in terms of the fairness of the upcoming election? Yeah, it seems unlikely that that anything's going to happen before that. Um I, if I had to guess, I would say the justices decide not to not to weigh in on this issue. Attorneys did offer a few tests that could be used, um, but the conservative justices on the court, uh, who have the majority, did not seem inclined to to take that up. And, and it seems as if this broke down along partisan lines. And, and you hate to think of the Supreme Court as being a partisan organization. However, you know, you have appointees from from both political parties on there. It looks like we had a pretty traditional split on this in terms of whether or not they were in favor of hearing the case at all or not. Yeah. So um, Justice Kennedy was seen as the swing vote on political gerrymandering issues. He is obviously gone now, replaced by uh, Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Um a Trump appointee. And Kavanaugh was indicating he was one of the ones questioning how states can deal with this issue on their own, um, echoing some of the comments made by his colleague, Justice Neil Gorsuch, also a Trump appointee. So it it signaled that Kavanaugh was interested in sort of leaving this up to the states to deal with. And and obviously states do have a remedy, as we saw here in Michigan. Um, Again, there is that question, though, of whether or not the current election cycle is going to be impacted by this. That is something that somebody asked about, I'm assuming, uh, at at the court yesterday. But, you know, there has been a huge reluctance in the past on the Supreme Court's part to to get involved in this. There have been other cases which they have punted back to lower courts time and time again. 
it, it certainly seems as if it may be heading in that direction based on the line of questioning. I, I don't like to guess what the Supreme Court is going to do in advance of, of any sort of ruling on this, but when might we find out? So the Supreme Court wraps up its term in June, given that these are some of the bigger cases on its docket this term, um, probably not until the end of the term uh, will they weigh in on this. And, and yeah, it seems entirely plausible that they'll just continue to punt on the issue. Interestingly enough, though, yesterday, there were some protesters out front. There was a rally uh, for people who were in favor of the Supreme Court getting involved in this case, including a former governor of California, Arnold Schwarzenegger, among others. Uh, What kind of attention is this getting in Washington? Because you guys reported on it in Michigan advance. It was not in the Detroit News. It was not in the Detroit Free Press that the Supreme Court even argued these cases yesterday. Oh, interesting. Yeah, there were there were quite a few outlets. Um the the press section was packed. I was actually in the Supreme Court. Um, it was so crowded that I was behind a large pole, so I couldn't actually see any of the justices. Obstructed but, view. That's, that's what they call those reporters teams. were in there. Um, yeah, but there was there was a lot of hoopla out front. Schwarzenegger, Arnold Schwarzenegger, as you mentioned, was out there. Um, he appeared with the Maryland governor, uh, Larry Hogan. I think Schwarzenegger called gerrymandering a national scandal. So, yeah, there were some festivities outside the court. I should remind folks, my guest right now is Robin Bravender. Of course, uh, she her work can be found in michiganadvance.com. She covers Washington uh, and is following a couple of different stories that have Michigan ties to them. Uh, another thing that happened yesterday, of course, is uh, Betsy DeVos, the Secretary of Education, was on the Hill trying to answer questions about President Trump's budget proposal when it comes to the Department of Education yesterday. Betsy DeVos, of course, from uh, the Grand Rapids area. Robin is a fellow Grand Rapidian, apparently. Um, I just found that out yesterday, as a matter of fact. Uh, So Betsy DeVos is somebody who's been on the radar for a long time for people from West Michigan in particular, those who are involved in the charter school debate. She got grilled yesterday. Democrats, of course, getting their crack at her and controlling the gavel. Uh, What was her day like yesterday? It was uncomfortable uh, and long. So DeVos appeared. This was her first time testifying in the House since Democrats took control earlier this year. And, you know, she's faced tough questioning from Democrats before, but now they're in charge. They control um, the time and they set the hearings uh, and there are more of them now. So more of them to ask her questions. Um, she, she stuck to her talking points, kept a smile on her face, but, but she got grilled pretty heavily. Republicans on the panel uh, were apologizing to her sort of for their colleagues' uh, tough lines of questioning. Um, one Democrat suggested at one point um, he felt like he was speaking another language to her based on her reluctance to answer his questions. Well, she repeatedly said she didn't want to get into these specific line items in the budget. That's exactly what she was there to do yesterday. Uh, and there's plenty for people to look at and be critical of, depending on where you stand on the issue of education. Um, you know, most notably, uh, the the attempt to zero out funding for the Special Olympics. Now, this may never see the light of day, um, but it is a statement about your priorities. How did she respond to that? Yeah, I mean, her her talking points were that, um, you know, they had to make tough choices. They wanted, they called for a 12% overall reduction in the education department's funding. She actually criticized Congress for continuing to um, keep the Department of Education's funding at its current levels, whereas the Trump administration has asked for cuts. So she was saying, you know, basically, Congress, please cut funding for my department. When have you ever seen that happen in Washington, where a department head says, I want less money? Uh, since the Trump administration came in plenty of times, um, we saw that, you know, we've seen that with the EPA, the interior department, 
Um, domestic spending agencies, domestic agencies are are continually asking for cuts that Congress just rejects out of hand. I mean, the the budget proposal that the Trump administration sends over to Congress is is always considered dead on arrival. Interestingly enough, you know, getting back to the Special Olympics question, because that got a lot of attention. That's the kind of thing that most people could get behind a few million dollars in the federal budget to take care of something like Special Olympics. Uh, she seems to want to turn this over to the philanthropic sector. Um, and that seems to be a bit of a theme that runs through a, a lot of budgetary line items in this in this Trump budget this time is, you know, having the private sector and the philanthropic organizations sort of take over things that traditionally have been government responsibilities. Uh, what was the response to that? Yeah, that was her defense. I mean, when when the Special Olympics funding came up, a lot of Democratic lawmakers seized on that. They were not happy about um, cuts to funding to that and programs for students with disabilities. Obviously, those make good for good sound bites for Democrats. Um, but DeVos said um, Special Olympics in particular, she said, you know, she likes that program. I think she called it awesome. Um, but she said, you know, the, the private sector, it's it's doing well. Other people can pay for that. We don't need to use government dollars for that. Well, interesting idea. Um, the philanthropic organizations that I deal with would argue that they are being burdened more and more with stuff that government used to handle. Uh, it seems to be a repeating theme. Uh, let's get back to this education budget for just a second. Some of the things I was reading about in your coverage of this yesterday, uh, a lot of a lot of tough questions in regards to her continuing support and, and looking for an increase in budget for s- charter schools. What was the response from the Democrats uh, on the panel in regards to that? How many and how difficult was the line of questioning in regards to not just charter school funding, but her ties to charter schools in general? Yeah, yeah, it was it was tough questioning. So Rosa DeLauro, um, she is the the chairwoman of this particular appropriations subcommittee um, laid into DeVos on charter schools. She said basically that takes funding away from public school uh, students, which is the bulk of public school stu- or the bulk of students in the country, um, they were they were very unhappy about that. Um, and you know, DeVos kept a smile on her face, stuck to her talking points, and said, "This budget's about freedom." Um, she insisted they wanted freedom for students to uh, be able to have more choice in in where they go to school, which has long been her talking point on the issue. And well, and also special education seemed to get a lot of the spotlight yesterday. The issue of potential cuts to special education programs, including programs that print books for the blind. Um, <laughs> I mean, a lot of a lot of things that are not huge expenditures in the federal budget were really sort of looked at for for cuts. Uh, did she ever give a justification for any of these ideas that the Trump administration has come up with in terms of these cuts? Yeah. Um you know, it doesn't look good for the Trump administration. And these, uh, these are easy uh, attacks for Democrats to make and you're, you're trying to cut funding for students with disabilities. Um, But DeVos over and over said, you know, these are, these are tough choices. We are looking for overall savings for taxpayers. um, And, and these were programs that we targeted. Well, Robin, I mean, one of the things that she was roundly criticized for, especially in her confirmation hearing, was was being underprepared or unprepared, frankly, uh, and not that knowledgeable about a lot of different federal programs when it comes to education. How did she perform yesterday in comparison to some of these earlier appearances she's made on the Hill? Yeah, she's gotten more polished. Um, she, I think, has learned to keep her answers short um, and and to stick to her talking points. So... Uh, she reiterated over and over again that they had to make tough choices. They were looking for cuts. Um, 
And in her defense, the the budget cuts come from the top. These are coming from the White House. She probably didn't have much say over the overall budget cut. Um, we have seen other other officials in the Trump administration um, try to fight back on budget cuts that they were facing. We saw EPA administ- former EPA administrator Scott Pruitt try to keep some more money for um, EPA early on, and he was he was rejected by, by the White House. He said, no, these are the cuts we're going for. So it's unclear how much of this is DeVos, but um, definitely the Trump administration overall wants, wants uh, funding cuts for the education uh- department. Uh, Robin, I mean, obviously, you know, this is fodder for reporters and, and the public to take a look at these budget proposals. But I think it is important that we give a little perspective uh, to the audience here about how much of this budget is likely to be uh, reality. Uh, again, the purse strings do belong to Congress, and you're going to be hard pressed to find a lot of representatives who are willing to cut the, the, exactly what the president's looking for here, I'm guessing. Yeah, um, I would I would expect um, virtually the Education Department uh, budget to remain the same, especially with uh, Democrats now in control of one chamber of Congress. Um, prospects for major cuts are are unlikely. <laughs> All right. Well, Robin, we'll let you get back to work. We know you've got a lot of busy days ahead. Uh, and 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 just real quick before I let you go, obviously, getting into to watch arguments in front of the Supreme Court is is a really rare thing. Most people don't get a chance to do that. Um, what other cases are you really looking forward to this year? And, and uh, you know, what ruling should we be watching for towards the end of the term that, that frankly, a lot of us maybe don't have on the radar yet? Yeah. Um, so there are a couple big gerrymandering cases. Uh, the the two that we talked about, there's also a racial gerrymandering case in Virginia. And those are the cases I'm most interested in this term. Um, I think they will dictate um you know, they could dis- dictate congressional lines across the country and, and the future of congressional politics. So uh, definitely keep an eye on those. All right. Well, we appreciate you being with us. We'll have you back again as things progress in Washington. It's nice to have uh, some ears on the ground there. We appreciate it very much. Robin Bravender. Thank you. Thanks. Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Also, home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor. Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. And this is the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Thank you very much for joining me on this Wednesday. And, and I'll tell you what, I woke up yesterday feeling a little bit confused about President Trump. Uh, there are a lot of things this guy does that I don't quite understand, and, and I don't pretend to necessarily understand his motivation for doing things. But you would think, you would think that a president who is riding high after the release of the Barr memo on the Mueller report, uh, the, the man who's been basically running a victory lap for the last couple of days, claiming that, um, you know, this was a witch hunt against him, that, you know, other people should be investigated, that he would want to keep that political momentum going. And he is feeling emboldened by this decision, uh, at least William Barr's interpretation of what the Mueller report said, especially when it comes to collusion. He is feeling emboldened as if now he has a an opportunity to lay out what he wants to do and, and a fresh start on his agenda. Now, interestingly enough, you'd think that the one thing that he didn't necessarily want to do right off the bat is reignite the discussion on whether or not the Republicans are looking to take away people's health care one day, one day. After going out there and publicly proclaiming victory on this thing, 
you would think that he would want to keep the attention focused on that, focused on the media, focused on what he says is the crooked media and crooked Hillary and everybody else and the Obamas that might have been involved in this. You would think that he would want to keep that momentum going. But instead, his own Justice Department gave the opposition a reason to once again change the subject, change the story. Democrats were flailing. They were trying to find ways to respond to the Mueller report, at least Barr's interpretation of that Mueller report, and find ways that they could actually continue on this trek and suggest that not all is rosy for President Trump. They didn't have to wait very long, and President Trump gave it to them in the form of this memo from the Justice Department that I will read to you right now. It says, quote, The Department of Justice has determined that the district court's judgment should be affirmed. Because the United States is not urging that any portion of the district court's judgment be reversed, the government intends to file a brief on the appellee's schedule. That's basically two sentences that say that they want the ruling in Texas v. United States to be upheld. That invalidated part of Obamacare, of course, basically what they suggested that since there's no penalty for nonpayment, therefore the entire law is unconstitutional. They're trying to argue that the Entire Obamacare law is unconstitutional, and they want it thrown out. President Trump followed that up when asked about it yesterday, saying, we are going to be the party of health care. The Republicans are going to be the party of health care. My only response to that is, I will believe that when I see it. There has been a robust debate in this country over the last 80 years about our health care system. Frankly, almost, almost since the day that Medicare was formed, giving seniors some medical coverage and some health coverage. This has been a battle that has been waging in this country for a long time. No progress was really made. The system as we have it now is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. It is flawed in many, many ways. It is uneven. There's unequal access to quality care. There's unequal access to quality benefits. Obamacare tried to do something about that, and it hasn't succeeded in every measure. I don't want to suggest it has, But there are far more people with some form of health care coverage now than there were before the law was enacted. Nobody should go bankrupt because of a medical emergency. Those are the kinds of things that were happening in this country time and time again. If you didn't have insurance, you went to the hospital, you'd get a bill for hundreds of thousands of dollars in some instances that that you never had any, any way of paying back. Hospitals, of course, have large amounts of uncompensated care that impacts their ability to serve their populations. This is not something that we see in other industrialized countries. They have figured this out. This country, on the other hand, has never once been able to figure this out. And it's a huge, huge argument that we've been having for a long time about who's responsible for this. Is this something that individuals should be responsible for on their own? Or is this something that the government should be responsible for in some capacity? What level of taxation is there to support whether or not the government takes care of your health care? And it's worked really well in Medicare for a long time. And all you need to know is seeing people at at rallies saying, keep your government hands off my Medicare as proof that people like Medicare, even if they don't know that it's a government program. It is, and it's far from perfect as well. And Obamacare, there are still some problems. Not everybody is covered. Not every state opted in for the Medicaid expansion, which really hurt the offerings in a number of those states. A lot of insurers pulled out because they knew that there was a large portion of the population that was not going to be covered, that was going to get uncompensated care, which was going to drive up the rates for everybody else. So rather than participate in those states, they pulled out. So the states that did not expand Medicaid saw a number of insurers bail out of the system, which means it's a less competitive environment 
and competition was going to be a big driver of cost reductions in the system. Now, states that did expand Medicaid, like Michigan, have seen a much more robust marketplace, much better choices for people at much more competitive prices. This was a political argument, not necessarily an argument about what was good for the people and the people that these representatives serve. And ever since it was passed, all we have heard is repeal and replace from the Republicans. Repeal and replace. Well, yes, there have been multiple efforts to repeal. 45 different votes during the Obama presidency alone. But even when the Republicans controlled the presidency and both houses of Congress in the last session, they could not get a repeal passed. Of course, that's stuck in President Trump's craw. We know that based on his constant attacks on John McCain, because John McCain cast the deciding vote in the Senate to not repeal Obamacare. And that's fine if you want to repeal Obamacare. But the one thing that the Republicans have never once come through on, and I can tell you this, this is not me making this up. This is not me being a pain in the ass. They have never come up with a real replacement plan. Yes, they talk about certain things like cost controls. They talk about potentially buying insurance across state lines, which could add to the competitive landscape, might drive down some prices. They talk about health savings accounts, but it does nothing to guarantee that people who have pre-existing conditions will get coverage. And the Democratic attack line on the Republicans has always been they want to take insurance away from people. They want to make sure that people who have pre-existing conditions can never get covered. Insurance companies don't like covering people with pre-existing conditions. It's just a fact. They cost more. But that's why you have more people in the pool. It reduces the cost for everybody. And then everybody has an opportunity to have their problem dealt with. So if you're going to repeal this, I want to know what the replacement plan is. And President Trump just took his big issue, which he could go across the country and rally behind, and just threw it under the bus with this health care notion. Because guess what? There is no replacement plan in place. And despite the president saying we're going to be the party of health care, I have yet to see him come up with one concrete plan. He's talked about reducing the cost of prescription drugs. Great. I give him credit for that. If he wants to have Medicare and Medicaid be able to buy in bulk and, and negotiate prices on prescription drugs to reduce the cost for seniors and the poor. Awesome. I'm in favor of that. I think those things need to be a part of a comprehensive solution. But if you're going to advocate for basically having a bunch of people lose coverage under Medicaid because you don't philosophically agree with this law, well, then you better come up with a plan for how to make sure that they have access to care and that it's affordable and that people with pre-existing conditions actually have access to coverage. If you were going to repeal, you best have a plan ready to replace because I tell you what, Republicans... The Democrats will hammer you with this. This was an issue in the last election in which we saw historic wins on the part of the Democrats. I'm not sure what part of the political lesson the Republicans didn't get on this one. And I'm not even sure it's the Republicans. I think this is Donald Trump and his administration throwing a monkey wrench into the thing. It's like throwing a grenade into a closet when there's a bunch of people standing in there and hoping a couple of people scramble and get out of there alive. It makes no sense. He just gave himself something to get hammered over. And now he says we're going to be the party of health care. Well, guess what? I will believe it when I see it. I have yet to see it. I'm not trying to be a partisan jerk about this. I am not. But health care is not something to play around with. We have been trying to fix this system or at least address it in some capacity again for 80 years. And we have yet to get it right. There are so many different interests involved in this that getting it right is going to be very, very difficult. But it takes something thoughtful. It's not something that fits on a bumper sticker. It's not something that you can just sit there and say, oh, we fixed this one thing, we'll fix the system. 
Medicare for all. How would we do that? If you're a Democrat, you sit there and say Medicare for all, fine. Show us how we're going to get there. But they have been so far much more willing to show their cards about how they would approach this than the Republicans have. They have run on this mantra of repeal and replace, but they have yet to offer a single replacement plan, not one that is viable, that actually answers the questions most people have. And now they've been put on the spot even further, and they're going to have to answer for this. And if anybody thinks that there's going to be a healthcare solution in the next year and a half, you're kidding yourself. I'll be interested to see what the courts decide to do on this, because a number of states have actually challenged uh, that ruling in Texas, suggesting that the Medicaid expansion needs to stay in place. And that some of the rules about Obamacare need to stay in place or else a whole bunch of people, millions of people will lose their coverage. And it'll cause chaos within the system. Do we want to go back to the way things were before Obamacare? Where you had 40, 50 million people without coverage in this country? The employer-based system is great if you work full time. But in this gig economy that we have right now, more and more people are buying this on their own and plans are not affordable if you don't have the option to join into a larger pool. Individuals get screwed on the insurance market. Options need to be there. So if you are going to repeal this and you're going to get behind it and you're going to run on this, you better show people what it is you have up your sleeve. If you don't have it, back off now. Tell the president that you're not ready, that this is not an avenue they should pursue. But just because you think this is good politics and you think people hate the government so much that they don't want it to be involved in their health care, well, just take it away from them and see how they respond then. This makes no sense. You just gave the Democrats exactly what they were looking for, a way out of the bar memo, a way out of the discussion about whether or not the media and the Democrats were somehow involved in some coup. You just gave them something to bludgeon you with for the next year and a half until the next election. Healthcare. Repeal and replace? Fine. You want to replace it? You better actually have a plan. I don't think you do. Hey, thanks for listening to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. I really do appreciate it very much. A quick reminder, if you would like to reach out to me, do so. Send me an email, thecraigfollyshow at gmail.com. Again, that's thecraigfollyshow at gmail.com. Send me questions, comments. Don't forget, you can find me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Snapchat, wherever you want. Just look me up. I am there, and uh, I love interacting with all of you. Don't forget as well, you can sponsor this program. If you want to reach this audience, and it is growing every single week, which is awesome, just reach out to me. That same email address, thecraigfollyshow at gmail.com. We've got affordable packages for everybody that might be involved in doing this. And again, reach a super great audience that is getting bigger by the day as more and more people adopt this new technology that allows for on-demand listening. Also, don't forget, you can find this every single day at DeadlineDetroit.com, along with other great coverage about things that are happening here in Metro Detroit, the state of Michigan, and nationally. Deadline Detroit, your one-stop shop for news. All right, I'll be back tomorrow. See you then. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services.